Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams. And you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance. Stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Bet the board. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't care. I don't. I never have. Never will. Yeah, right. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. You owe me 15 grand, pal. Pay him. Pay that man his money. It's the Bet the Board podcast. God likes me. He really, really likes me. In the end, I wound up right back where I started. I could still pick winners, and I could still make money for all kinds of people back home. And why mess up a good thing? Here's Payne Insider and Todd Furman. Welcome into the Bet the Board podcast powered by betonline.ag, a Halloween edition. Hopefully no spook and fears around these parts. I am, of course, uh, your leader, Todd Furman, joined as always by my esteemed colleague co-host, the one, the only Payne Insider. What's going on, my good man? Not too much. And as you know, every day is the same. So you telling me it's Halloween right about now is uh, is news to me. Yeah, college football week 10. Time flies when you're having fun, huh? <laughs> I don't know if that's the right describing word. But yeah, college football has actually been much better than the NFL for us, as odd as that sounds. The NFL has been it, a goddamn battle. <laughs> it has definitely been a grind. But more about the National Football League tomorrow on these very same channels. But last night, Payne, let's start with the biggest news in college football. And it has minimal relevance, if any at all, to what we do in our day-to-day. But I feel like we have to talk about it. Alabama, number one, no surprise to anybody in the as far as the college football playoff. Clemson, number two. LSU, number three. We'll get to them in a second. Number four, Notre Dame, Michigan, number five, and Georgia, number six. Interestingly enough, no team ever pegged at number three has gone on to make the college football playoff. That should make us feel a little bit better about how we've demeaned, belittled, and said that LSU is the most overrated team in the country all season long, right? Uh, They still are. And uh, for me, they actually squeaked in this week into our top ten in our power numbers. Now, it took like some losses from A&M and teams like that. They're just, here's the thing. No one's really good this year other than Clemson and Alabama. And when I look at my numbers, uh, the gap between Clemson and our third best team is the same gap we have power ratings wise from our third best team to our 15th. No one's, <laughs> no one's, I mean, we. I have never seen so much movement week to week in our power numbers from team, 7-8 to Team 15. Like, it's constantly shuffling. team. Like, LSU moved up on the bye because A&M looked so bad. 
Um, well, that, the, the bye week might also be the best that LSU's offense has looked all season, yeah. so you can understand why the Tigers were promoted as a result. Absolutely, and, and when it gets to LSU, and again, I know a lot of people will throw some hate and shade our way. It is a popular team. Uh, it's a very good defense. Dave Aranda's elite. But again, I don't care what your team is. I don't care about the name. I, I don't care about the jersey. I don't care about any of that. When you look at some of these metrics, you know you have LSU third. Now, granted, they could lose this weekend, and, and we're not going to hear from LSU again. Uh, but when you just look at the metrics and you say, hey, this is the third best team in the country, like, they're not even – I don't even want to say they're the third best team in their own conference. Like, that's that's a legitimate thing. Right now, they're living off the turnover. They're, like, plus 1.7. Uh, in turnover margin a game, no one else in the SEC is above one. Uh, you look at what they're doing. Fantastic special teams this year, so they're they're number one in the conference uh, in starting field position. But you start to look at some of like the su- uh, success rate metrics, uh, what they are offensively. Like forty percent of offensive snaps are successful. They're allowing their opponents to be successful in thirty eight percent of their snaps. It's a two percent differential. That's like ninth in the conference. <laughs> um, like it, it, it's just you know it, it's bad. It, it's not like a very good football team metrically. Winning some games, uh, certainly you need some luck. But there are these teams every single year, one or two that are just annoying winning games uh, that they probably shouldn't. And you know what? You can't take anything away from the committee putting LSU there only because of what they've accomplished on the field. And we'll get to more LSU a little bit more in detail, obviously, as we preview the Alabama showdown this weekend. But when you have upset victories against the likes of Georgia, you have an upset victory against Auburn and an upset to start the season against Miami, what they've done on the field warrants their inclusion. Now, if they can sustain that over the next month when their schedule gets significantly tougher, that remains to be seen. As far as the other teams paying for me personally, given what we've seen so far this year, no problems whatsoever with Michigan on the outside looking in Notre Dame there at number four and Georgia number six essentially win out from here for any of these teams and that may include Oklahoma as well and you're going to be in the college football playoff so no fan in my opinion this year has anything to gripe about no and there's a lot of time right Michigan wins out they're going to be in uh, Oklahoma wins out they'll probably need Michigan to lose a game and then they would get in so I mean this is very early still Washington State at eight is uh is interesting. <laughs> is it Kentucky yeah. at nine? Uh, interesting. <laughs> just just to put that. I mean, I think we have Kentucky thirtieth right now, power rated. Well, I mean, that provides the perfect segue then. And, of course, we're going to do this as a two-man weave today. Third member of our talented trio, Dusty, called for other obligations as he'll be on the call tomorrow night between UCF and Temple. So, Payne, let's start with Georgia-Kentucky. And you mentioned Kentucky a little bit overrated. The number here on this game, you're looking at Kentucky, a nine-point home underdog at betonline.ag as the Bulldogs come a-calling to Lexington. Total on this game, 43-and-a-half. You have to go back to November 21st, 2009, to find the last time the Wildcats won outright in the series. They did so as a 10-point dog. Kentucky hasn't gained more than 353 yards in a game versus Georgia since 2010. And I give you that to give you this. Kentucky, pretty fortunate, in my opinion, even beat Missouri last weekend, let alone cover the spread. Agreed. That was a uh, rough punt return for touchdown late. Uh, (laughs) Don't get me started on Missouri. Don't get me started on Coach Odom and Drew Locke, who can't pick up a single first down at home over 30 minutes of football. Don't even get me started. The fourth and inches up 14-3, to transitioning from third quarter to fourth quarter, was a a bad no-get. That was pretty game-changing there. Uh, This matchup here, I think it's pretty fascinating. I don't think it's getting its proper due because you have Bama and LSU same day within the conference. Um, 
again, I don't know how good Kentucky actually is when you're a, a seven-point dog to a team that's winless in conference. It's not just me with these questions. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, but when you start to break this game down and look for edges and advantages that, that each team may have, I came away thinking Kentucky doesn't match up all that poorly in this spot. Uh, you mentioned their offensive ineptitude. The last three games have been just downright abysmal, only three and a half yards per play against AM, 4.8 against Vandy, and five against Missouri, most of which came on that final drive there. That was the nail in the coffin for us. Um, if you've listened to this podcast all season at this point, I've had serious questions about the Georgia defense. They're talented, uh, they're young, they're small, and not overly physical. Georgia can be pushed around defensively in the trenches. I think Kirby Smart knows it. Uh, and the one thing you get with Kentucky is they're physical. They play with an attitude. It's it's a senior-laden group that wants to beat you up. Benny Snell rarely goes backwards. That ground game is always moving forward, so they're not getting stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage often. Um you know, you look at some of the offensive metrics. Kentucky doesn't look great rushing the ball, just 66th in run efficiency. Uh, the offense doesn't look very good overall because they can't pass the ball. So they're 109th out of 130 teams. Hey, hey, now, they were very good last week throwing tunnel screens two yards behind the line of scrimmage to give uh, <laughs> Terry Wilson 267 yards passing for the that day. That is true. Big throws on the last drive, too. I mean, that was a big fourth down throw. It was accurate, and, and that's been mostly his issue. Um I would think Kentucky's going to have some success on the ground, but but what if Kirby Smart just says, F it? Like, what if he just says, throws his hands up and says, screw it, I'm playing single high safety, I'm playing two corners, I'm loading the box with eight, beat me through the air to win the division, Terry Wilson. Like, I, I don't know what the other option is. Uh, so if Kentucky can't run the football, it's like, then what? What's the next option? Um, I wouldn't want to get away from who you are, but maybe the first series first three plays, even if it's incomplete, Terry Wilson throws a deep bomb to Lynn Bowden, just kind of softens some things up there. Um, maybe at its core, some early throws, some play action. Uh, Kentucky is going to have to run the football, I would think. Um, I, right now, I can see why this line's moved down. I just I looked at my number before we got on here. It was 8.5, so I can see why it came off the key of 10. I just don't know what Kentucky does if they can't run. Yeah, this is the kind of game where if Kentucky were to get behind, I have a hard time trying to figure out where the offense would come from to get back into the game. But at the same time, if they're able to build an early lead, put a little pressure on Georgia, the dynamic changes quite a bit. And when we look at Kentucky, you mentioned their ground game. They've actually been held under 100 yards in two of their last three games. Benny Snell under 100 yards in three of his last four. So they're going to have to find other ways to move the football. Now on the other side of the ball, Kentucky may have the best player in the entire conference right now in the form of Josh Allen. And and they're disruptive. Can they do things to make Georgia a little bit one-dimensional and put pressure on the Bulldogs? I joked around with you because I don't watch much Kentucky football, but I watched the game last week. I'm like, who is this Allen guy? He is everywhere. Um, he's that good. Now, when you look at Georgia's offense, I, I tried deading this before last week, and I hope it's now buried. Uh, Fromm's the guy. And, you know, Georgia's offense, with him leading it, they're very successful. Over 50% of the snaps have graded that way. You know, it's a Bulldogs offense, top five in both rushing and passing efficiency. They're top 35 in both explosive runs and passing. I don't know what more you could possibly want from Fromm. Um, everyone kept coming back last week to how poor he was on third down. Uh, six for seven for three touchdowns last week. Um, That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you look at how Georgia operates offensively. I think it asks a lot of Fromm. It's constantly third and medium, third and long. Uh, the games where last season and this year where Georgia passes on first down, Fromm looks elite. 
Um, and last week, I believe he silenced everyone. Uh, I just I think it's kind of relax mode. Uh, now, I love Kentucky's defense, and I think when you look at some of those metrics, the ones that matter most, they check all the boxes. You know, just 34% of opponents' offensive snaps are grading successful. Uh, they're the fourth best in explosive play defense in the country when you combined you know, those two things, the explosiveness and the down-to-down efficiency, it's a top 15 unit. But I think when you look, you know, dig a little bit deeper, they've had some issues. Uh, Their third down defense, below average, 89th in the country. Uh, When it's a known passing situation and you look specifically at some of those instances, they're a hair below average there as well. The defensive line doesn't make a lot of plays at or behind the line of scrimmage. Um, I think their best attributes are probably their their back seven, the linebackers and the secondary. Uh, Stoops has done a pretty good job. It doesn't look like there's any like blown coverages this season. Guys are lining up properly, so that's been pretty good. But again, I just I come back to this, like you can kind of compare it to baseball. Like I would think the team that wins this game is goes to the secondary pitch. Like which team has the secondary pitch? And I think that would be Georgia because they can throw, they can run. I don't see that from Kentucky here. Now, the line's perfect, so I'm not going to be on this game. Um, but I just, whoever wins this game, I think is going to have to use the secondary pitch. And, of course, whoever wins this game will be crowned SEC East champion when we look at some trends for these two teams. Georgia's actually covered the last five meetings against Kentucky, and Kentucky, uh, which will be an electric atmosphere at the Commonwealth, I mean, this team only 6-13 and 13 against the number of the last 19 games they've played at home. So interesting things to think about for what should be a great appetizer for the main event that will come later on from the SEC West. But before we get there, some Big 12 games to dissect as well, Payne, and it's Oklahoma headed on the road to West Texas to take on Texas Tech. And you're looking at the Sooners, a 13-point favorite at BetOnline.ag, trending towards 13.5. Total in this game, 76.5. I mean, when we look at Oklahoma, we know the offense is unstoppable. Number one in the country in yards per play, number four in total offense, number five in yards per point. But I want to look at Oklahoma on the other side of the ball, and I'll make the case that Texas Tech is the first offense that Oklahoma is going to play all season that is even above average, and that includes the 48 points they gave up to Texas. Um, yeah, I, w- I would say you're, you're probably spot on there. Now, <sighs> I would think this game acts as a barometer to see how much the Sooners' defense has improved with, with Ruffin McNeil. The last two games, TCU and Kansas State, uh, you know, they've shown improvement. They held TCU to five yards per play, held Kansas State to 4.6. Neither of those offenses are going to be confused with Kingsbury's, right? They're both outside the top 80. But I do think it's a positive sign. Uh, I, I would wonder how much or how hands-on, rather, Lincoln Riley is going to be this week with helping OU's defense. There's history there. Lincoln Riley began his coaching career at Texas Tech. This is, you know, his alma mater. He was a walk-on quarterback with Cliff Kingsbury, so I think the two are pretty familiar with each other. Um, As much as I like Cliff, I think Lincoln's on another planet, and if Texas Tech's offense can't be multiple, you'd think knowing the ins and outs of each other's offenses probably favors Lincoln Riley a bit here. Um... As a whole, Texas Tech's offense has been pretty good, right? 48% of snaps grading successful, 16th best in the country, that is, uh, 18th in overall efficiency. The ground game, to me, hasn't been there. It hasn't been great. It's a position that's been beaten down with injuries. I think Tech's offensive line has some question marks. They're allowing far too much penetration, 116th in the country in stuff rate, so opposing defenses are making a ton of plays around the line of scrimmage. If that happens here, 
it means you're relying on freshman quarterback Alan Bowman to have to make plays on third and long. I don't think you'll want that. Last week against Iowa State, we saw Kingsbury's offense did not look good. Bowman looked like a freshman. I know the scoreboard looked close. Tech, Tech was held to under four and a half yards for playing offense. Um, and the one glaring difference between the two offenses that I noticed immediately is Tech isn't explosive. 87th or worse in both explosive pass and run offense. Oklahoma's offense, on the other hand, they have the ability to strike quick, and that could be the difference here. And when you mention Oklahoma's quick strike offense, Kyler Murray, of course, not getting enough credit given the season two has put together in his quest to try and win the Heisman. But Texas Tech coming into the season, a lot of people thought, hey, this defense is going to be improved. By my metrics, they've actually regressed from where they were last season. But when we see the success that home teams have had, we know things are a little bit quirky at night in Lubbock. Are you surprised at all with this number taking off the way it has from 10 out to 13 and a half, approaching nearly two touchdowns? Uh, when I look at my number, it's, it's kind of in line. I, I know the group that laid the 10. It would seem as if this is real at this point. Uh, still early in the week. For me, I like what I have seen from Oakland's, uh, Oklahoma's offense, as you alluded to. There was only one direction but down when you have the most efficient offense, basically, of all time that they had last year with Baker Mayfield. But Kyler Murray has stepped in nicely. Um, you know, when I tried to break this down, I tried to make a case for Texas Tech's defense. I, I really did. And we've mentioned this a lot. It's an improving defense. It looks like they're starting to get healthier. I remember at the beginning of the season, we thought potentially they could sneak into the top 50, I think. Um, in the last three weeks, progress. You know, TCU, Kansas, uh, Iowa State held all three of those teams to under the national average in yards per play. I think that's a positive trend going upwards. But this is just, you know, this is a different beast here. Um, I'm not sure how you're going to get stops. Um, I don't know how you can contain Lincoln Riley's offense even with those improvements. I, I just, you know, I, I don't know how this happens. When you look at what OU is doing, Across the board, very good. Third in rushing efficiency, first in passing efficiency, explosive. Um, for Tech's defense, if they have a shot here, you're going to have to hold the field goals. That's a win in this game. Hold the field goals. Uh, but you look at what Oklahoma's doing. They finish drives, number one in the country. Average six points every time they reach the green zone. So if Tech's defense is going to have a prayer here, you probably have to hold OU to field goals a couple times each half. Uh, this is the kind of game where if you can create that turnover, steal a possession, get it back to your offense so they can score, I think that goes a long ways. I I think this is a big step up in class for Texas Tech. Yeah, I mean, I joked with one of my colleagues about this game. I said over-under times that Oklahoma punts in this one, two and a half, and I would juice the under substantially there for just the reasons you outlined. I think Texas Tech has to see forcing Oklahoma to kick field goals as a win, and you almost have to go boomer bust mentality. Don't be afraid to give up the explosive play if you're, it's going to allow you to pick a pass off here or there or force a fumble, you know, one out of every four or five series. No, no, no doubt about it. A, a turnover is huge here. If you can steal a possession, that goes a long ways. Get it back to your offense. And that's what we're seeing this this day and age in 2018, right? Go out, make a play, create a first uh, first down sack, get teams behind the chains, uh, and get them off the field. If you can create a turnover, cool. If you let up the big score, okay, your offense is back out there. Now they're not getting you know uh, they're not getting out of rhythm over there on the sideline. So I think that's the approach you need to take: balls to the wall, create a negative play, create a turnover, get the ball back for your offense. From one game in the Big 12, pain that's going to go a long way in trying to figure out not only the chase for a conference championship, but the national title. This one for maybe the second entrant to Dallas playing for the big game. It's Texas 
playing host to West Virginia, you're looking at Texas, a two-point favorite at BetOnline.ag. Total on this game, 58. And I'll openly admit I couldn't have been more wrong in West Virginia coming off of their bye and their first loss. Took the 14 with Baylor last Thursday. That game was over about a drive into the football game. But at the same time, when I look at West Virginia, they let Baylor hang around early. They were only one of 10 on third down in that game. And Will Greer struggles. Yes, he can make the big play here or there. But I don't get the feeling he's that elite-level quarterback that you can trust to make all the biggest throws when you need to. But I guess at the same time, can Texas bounce back from a pretty lethargic performance in Stillwater last Saturday night? Uh, when I look at West Virginia's offense, man, hating on Will Greer. By the way, his lady friend, oof, gorgeous. Um, that was a side note, by the way. I saw he had a kid recently, and she is absolutely stunning. I believe she's a cheerleader. Um, so I like that attribute about my quarterback. <laughs> Does that factor into your handicapping absolutely. of oh. the alpha male complex? Oh, absolutely. If you see a guy okay. that goes down in class, a quarterback, like it, he ain't going to make it. Um, <laughs> so when I looked at this, I would think West Virginia's offense is going to try to emulate what Oklahoma State did last week. Um, now, I don't think the Mountaineers are going to see a Texas defense that's looking absolutely like spent and lethargic. Not sure what that effort was. Shocked to see that off the bye early. Um, what I said last week when we broke down the Texas game, and it'll be the same thing I think that applies this week, the way you're going to beat the Longhorns defense is with explosive plays. That's the way you do it. There's not a ton of team speed on that side of the ball. At least I don't see it. Um, they're 100th in overall explosive play defense, 117th in explosive pass defense. Um now, the one caveat to that is if you did some reading, Tom Herman came out, said he made a mistake. He suspended his two starting corners for the first quarter against the Pokes um, for being late to like a team function. So two freshmen started. Um, and when you look at the quarter-by-quarter quarter metrics, the freshmen didn't do very well. Oklahoma State was successful in 63% of their first quarter snaps, 40% the final three quarters combined. Um, so the starters are going to be back in this game. Will Greer isn't going to be lucky facing two freshmen early on. I know he is chomping at the bit after dislocating the finger a year ago in this game, which put him out for the remainder of the season. He's talked about it this week. He's circled this game. I think if Greer can get time, um, he's going to be able to find Sills, Jennings, Sims pretty frequently. Uh, I I think the game within the game comes on this side of the ball. West Virginia's offensive line versus the Texas defensive line. That matchup, I think, determines who wins this game. Pressure hits sacks I think that's the determining factor here because you watch these games closer than I do the Mountaineers have serious issues at times protecting Greer doesn't matter if it's on standard downs or passing downs West Virginia's offensive line top uh, outside the top 100 and pass protection categories Um, Texas defensive line top 100 uh, in not getting after the quarterback on standard downs or passing downs so they're outside the top 100 something is going to have to give there Um, and, and we know Greer He's willing to give it up. Six turnovers in five conference games so far. Uh, so I think that's the matchup within this game. If Texas's defensive line can create some pressure, which they haven't done all year, that's going to be a big help. If the West Virginia offensive line can keep Greer upright, I think he's got a chance to make some plays. What do you look at on the other side of the ball where West Virginia's defense still only allowing 19.1 points per game? They haven't necessarily shown the level of physicality. And if we hit the rewind button, Iowa State had a ton of success not only running the football but also throwing the football over the top. Do you trust this Texas offense? Should this game turn into a shootout and their ability to keep up with Sam Ellinger being somewhere close to 100%? I mean, they did dig themselves a hole, like you mentioned, down 17, but showed a lot of resiliency battling back. It just proved to be too big a mountain to overcome. Well, I 
think the tone in your question initially there is going to be my same thought process, right? Bully ball, I would think, is how the Texas offense operates here, kind of enforce your will. Uh, the West Virginia defense did get a touch healthier during the bye. They showed out pretty well against Baylor, held them to 4.4 yards per play. But we talked about this off-air. Late in the Kansas game, they were getting pushed around in the trenches. Um, then the following week, Iowa State dominated in the trenches there as well. Um, I think Texas employs just a physical offense here. We saw a year ago, if you back out the noise of the quarterback kneels at the end of the game, 40 rushes for 238 yards the Longhorns offense had. Um, you can run on the Mountaineers just 81st in defensive rush efficiency. You just have to keep them out of your backfield. They're a little undersized, so they swarm around a lot, create some negative plays, second in the country in stuff rate. So if you can get your hand on them and not allow them to swarm and play downhill, you can have success moving the ball on the ground. Uh, I think the big question for me was strength of schedule when I looked at this game. This is a big step up for West Virginia right now. They have a strength of schedule that's just barely inside the top 100 in the country. Uh, I think this will be interesting to see if it's kind of a shock to their system. The very best team West Virginia has played to date is Iowa State. It's a very underrated team, but it's a you know fringe top 25 team. Cyclone just absolutely dominated them. They outgained them by 3.3 yards per play. It was like straight-up annihilation. Um, so this will be an interesting test for West Virginia here. Yeah, pure physical mismatch for West Virginia. Took that finesse offense into Ames and had absolutely no answers whatsoever for the physicality. So we'll see. Texas, uh, for all the talk about them being back, they lay an egg, but they can right their ship pretty quickly and control their own destiny, getting to the conference championship with a win at home against West Virginia, as we mentioned under a field goal favorite at betonline.ag right now. To the Big Ten pain, where it's Penn State on the road to take on Michigan. And when you look at this number here, you're seeing Michigan a 10-point favorite at betonline.ag. Number drifting out towards 10.5. Total on this thing sits at 52. And I guess first things first, Michigan we know controls their own destiny right now. They've really put that season opening loss against Notre Dame in their rear view. The value of a bye week this late in the season, knowing that they have the revenge angle, Michigan was embarrassed in Happy Valley to the tune of 42-13. to 13. I mean, what do you think that does for Coach Harbaugh's bunch as they feel some of their confidence, his team really has it going? Do they lose some of their momentum, or do you feel, all right, the bye week came at the right time, they can refocus and go down the stretch and really put a hurting on some of these other remaining conference opponents? Yeah, I would say so, right? And this has been talked about. It's like the revenge tour. It, it continues. I like the mental makeup for the Wolverines. I feel that's perfect. It feels like this is just kind of business as usual. You had Lavert Hill come out, say they were disrespected by Penn State last year, uh, how they ran up the score. Don Brown came out and said, this game is personal for us. Um, if you can shake off the rust early, the bye is a great thing. And I think with a physical team like Michigan and what will be a physical game this week, the bye is actually more valuable, especially with Penn State coming off a physical game against Iowa. Uh, I think you also have to, like guys like Tariq Black, um, if he's back in the fold, this Michigan offense gets very scary. And he broke his foot to start the season, didn't play. He was cleared against Michigan State, came out, warmed up, took one snap. I would think the bye week did wonders for him. Gives him more time to get closer to 100%. Probably gets him back in rhythm with his new quarterback, Shea Patterson. They had a nice relationship building uh, in the summer. Uh, let's see if Rashawn Gary goes. 
I know there was some speculation there that he was pulling a Nick Bosa. Uh, he's had this shoulder injury coming into the year. It's an AC joint injury. Uh, uh, doctors, I was reading, said four to six weeks timeline for full recovery. When this game kicks off, you'll be inching closer to five weeks. So I wouldn't cap the game with him in, but it'd certainly be uh, an added bonus if he were to play. And, and he's right around that timeline right now. Yeah, I might be surprised if we see Rashawn Gary. Uh, I've heard the same murmurs as you, uh, that he may be focused on the next level yeah. more so than getting Michigan to the college football playoff. The doctors but came out, talk- though, and said that he could suffer more damage if he were to play through it. Let's see if he's fully healthy. They claimed up to six weeks. I, I can't envision if they continue to win, he's just going to sit out. Supposedly, the players are saying that's not his makeup. We'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You talk about an elite defender that'll only make a good, de- a great defense even better. But you talked about Michigan's offense, Payne, and I want to ask you specifically about the matchup against Penn State's defense that's looked relatively vulnerable, at least to me. I know they only allow 4.6 yards per play, but you look at some of the raw numbers surrendered. 350 yards in a deluge last week against Iowa. They gave up 550 to Indiana the week before. 418 to Michigan State, which I didn't think was actually possible. 389 to Ohio State in their near miss at home, and then over 400 yards against Illinois, but that a lot of that came in garbage time. This Penn State defense, for me, feels a far cry from being even an above-average defense, but I know their yards per play metrics suggest that, all right, this defense is actually pretty good. Um, yeah, it, it's not a great defense. They've lost a lot in the offseason, obviously. They're replacing a ton of guys. Um, here is an interesting matchup, I would think. You know, when you look at how you would attack Penn State's defense. They're far better defending the pass. Um, Just 78th in defensive rush efficiency off the Iowa game, which you mentioned it was a downpour. Uh, Nick Stanley ended up hurting his hand in that game. He was throwing a wet, slick ball. He just didn't look very good. Um, I would think if you're Michigan, you want to play some physical football here. And if Tyreek Black is back, uh, you play some play action off that. He's by far the most dynamic weapon. Uh, Michigan, to me, right now has a very balanced offense. It doesn't wow you by any stretch, but they move the chains. Uh, I'm looking right now, 47% of offensive snaps have graded successful. It's 20th best in the country. They're balanced both running and passing. And because Shea Patterson can use his legs, he seems to have been, he's hits the explosive play in these crucial games. He had the game changer versus Wisconsin. There's been some nice deception with the offense. That helps as well. But like you, I don't think the Penn State defense is as good as some of the metrics. You can run on them. I would think that's what Michigan's going to do. You would think probably employ that physical brand of football, wear them down. Not a ton of weather in this game. It's going to be chilly, like 40, 45 degrees, not a lot of wind. So that won't be a factor. You're going to be able to move the ball a little bit through the air here. So it'll be interesting to see how Michigan operates offensively. But I would think you just look at the tape. You look at the film, you look at some of the metrics, you would deploy a game plan uh, that's ground and pound here, at least early on. Yeah, I mean, Karan Higdon has been outstanding. Five straight 100-yard games, carried the ball 25 times or more in three of those games. So Michigan employing the brand of football you'd expect from them. And the weather gets colder, and there are some elements in there, even if they're not going to play a role this coming weekend. Michigan wants to run the football. And the last thing, I mean, Michigan's defense, I don't think we need to talk extensively about it. The numbers (laughs) speak for themselves. Last time they allowed over 300 yards to an opponent way back on September 15th against SMU. They lead the FBS in total defense, 220 yards per game, pass defense 122.9 and six in the country in points allowed at just over two touchdowns Penn State Trace McSorley gonna have to use his legs I would assume to be able to put Michigan on its heels absolutely right they're gonna have to move the immovable object uh make some hay on the ground 
I would think this is a game where Trace is balls to the wall. He's going to have to be willing to be that advantage in the box as a runner. Uh, he ran it 25 times against Ohio State. It's probably going to need to be a similar effort here, as crazy as that's going to sound to some, having a QB run that much. Um, I'm just not sure he's a sophisticated enough passer to do much through the air. 108th in the country in completion rate. Now you have a Michigan secondary that's number one in completion rate defense, third in defensive pass efficiency, 12th in explosive pass defense. I don't know how Penn State's going to move the ball here. You would think it's got to be on the ground a little bit, but that's obviously tough to do against Michigan's defense. We don't need to go into their metrics and numbers, but it's going to be all on Trace McSorley's shoulders, I would think, get some guys going in the ground game, but I think he becomes that added dimension, that added advantage in the ground game. So, again, wouldn't shock me if he runs it 25 times, similar to what he did against Ohio State. That's the way you got to do it. Take advantage of the extra man not often accounted for in the box. Uh, get an extra hat on some of the defenders and see if there are run lanes that are carved out for him. All right. We've talked about four of the biggest games on the docket, but this probably the biggest. Pitting the number one team in the college football playoff rankings with number three, LSU. You're looking at Alabama, a overwhelming favorite, a 14.5 point chalk. On the road in Death Valley, total in this game, 53.5 pain. And since 2012, Alabama, 7-0 versus LSU, outscoring them by an average margin of 23.4 to 10.4. Alabama has covered four of the last five, five out of the last seven. Relatively uncharted territory for LSU as a home underdog. I mean, we can talk about the Crimson Tide until we're blue in the face, outscoring their opponents, 8-0 against the first half point spread, two as numbers, etc. I'm going to ask you flat out, what does LSU have to do Maybe not to win this game outright, but to keep this game within the number. Uh, it's a good question. Um, I When I looked at this game, I think there's only a handful of things that matter. And it revolves around the first half. Um, you know, Alabama reminds me of the Kansas City Chiefs right now. The offense is, is just so efficient. It's so explosive. Every single time Alabama possesses the football, they're averaging nearly four and a half points per drive. Uh, the SEC average is 2.6. So Alabama is inflating that average. The only other team that averages more than three points per drive in conference is Georgia. And the one thing to remember in this game and in 2018, it's offense is far more predictive than defense. Um, and because of that, LSU is going to have to score here. They're going to have to move the ball to compete. Uh, you would think it's going to be a similar philosophy as the one we've seen teams when they face the Kansas City Chiefs, right? You got to keep the game close early. Um, you have to have your entire playbook at your disposal, establish the ground game, keep two in the offense on the sidelines. The problem is LSU isn't a great running team, 96th in rushing efficiency. But, you know, you go back to the Georgia game, they were able to move them around in the trenches. Uh, I think LSU has to do the same here to kind of have a glimmer of hope. The Bama defense does have holes. We knew that coming into the season. It's I would think by far the worst Saban defense we've seen in the last decade. Um, I think it's just hard to tell by the naked eye because the offense is so good, it makes every opposing offense one-dimensional. Um, I broke this down. When you look at Bama's defense in the first halves of games so far this season and you back out the noise of sack yardage uh, in kneel downs, which get accounted for in most rushing metrics, and you only include actual runs, Alabama's defense allowed 5.2 yards per rush attempt. They can be had. Um, when you look at defensive points per trip allowed in the scoring zone, Alabama's second worst in the SEC. They're allowing nearly 4.6 points per trip inside the green zone. 
LSU's got to run the ball. Uh, I would think that includes Joe Burrow using his legs more. I know Coach O was calling for him to use his legs more. Joe Burrow's going to have to be successful on third and short, third and medium, keep the chains moving. And when LSU gets in scoring positions, uh, they're going to have to generate touchdowns. I think the question becomes, I don't know if they're going to be able to do any of that offensively, right? I mean, we saw LSU in the first half against Mississippi State. Um, They had 20 total yards of offense the first 27 minutes of that game. Through 27 minutes against Mississippi State, they averaged 0.9 yards per play. If that happens here, Alabama is going to be up 28 nothing early. Um, so uh, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I don't know. They're going to have to establish the ground game and keep Alabama's offense off the field. That's the way to do it. They're going to have to convert for touchdowns. That's the only way they're going to compete here. LSU without Devin White in the first half, how big a loss is that knowing that Alabama will have this thing scripted and they've been such quick starters uh, against any inferior opponents in the SEC and knowing that this – but the best way to take LSU's home crowd out of the game is to try and score quickly early on. Oh, it's huge. It's absolutely a massive factor. And you kind of lead me in the right direction here because I wanted to make this point. When you focus on what Alabama does in the first half of games offensively, which incorporates the game plan, as you alluded to, uh, it incorporates the script, as you mentioned, uh, and most importantly, it incorporates Tua. Um, you know, Alabama's number one in the country, averaging 10.1 yards per play in the first quarter. Alabama's number one in the country, averaging 9.1 yards per play in the second quarter. Uh, the second halves of these Alabama games, like throw them out the window. It's a combination of Jalen Hurts and and grumpy Nick Saban doing things poorly on purpose so he can have teachable moments for his players like the following week. They could have won every game by 70. But, like, Saban is manually creating chaos for his own team, and he's absolutely making some, like, negative EV decisions in the second halves, like, on purpose. So, like, the 18-year-old kids don't have these inflated heads rolling around like big men on campus. Um, If LSU can't possess the ball early with the ground game, convert possessions for scores, this will get ugly because I just don't think they have the offense that can play catch-up. As good as Dave Aranda's defense has been, they have some holes. Um... I think Bam is going to score here, right? I know LSU's defense has faced two teams with top 10 offenses in Ole Miss and Georgia. Uh, they held Ole Miss. Eh, to, Ole Miss doesn't count. I watch yeah. Ole Miss against SEC caliber opponents, and they look like they can't get out of their own way. I, I'm just telling you what the metrics say. They're a top 10 offense in efficiency. Uh, but they held Ole Miss to 4.7 yards per play. Uh, they held Georgia to 5 yards per play. Uh, so well below the national average in two offenses that are well above the national average in efficiency. So, Maybe those are your comparisons. There's no one like Alabama's offense right now. It's that good. It's the best Nick Saban's had. It's it's bordering on one of the best SEC offenses of all times. I And they just get out. And so, you know, for me, Dave Aranda's defense is very good. This is, I think it becomes about LSU's offense. They're going to have to stay on the field. That's the only way to compete here. Yeah, awfully scary thought if you're predicating a big decision against Alabama, trusting LSU's offense and Joe Burrow, the same unit we saw that couldn't do much of anything against Mississippi State. I know a different dynamic, but I've been led down this path before backing LSU as a sizable underdog against Alabama. That's right. Have not been rewarded for it. We hung out in Miami for one of those games. Yeah, you want to talk about a game that drove you nuts. I mean, Christ, you're catching seven and a half. Uh, you only give up 10 points and you still can't cover. But Now think about it from my perspective, watching a game that annoying and hanging out with you. That was tough. We consumed a lot of alcohol that night. Meanwhile, rooting against Florida <laughs> State at the same time. At least that game worked out in our favor. That was true. I was rooting against my beloved Knowles. 
So, all right. So we've covered the biggest games. But before we close up shop and offer up a best bet, we need to get the sportsbook perspective and see how money is rolling in on some of these big tilts early on. He joins us every Wednesday here on the Bet the Board podcast. You, of course, can follow Dave Mason on Twitter at Dave Mason BOL. And Dave, to kick things off, we got to ask you, how did last weekend end up playing out for the good guys? College or NFL? This is college, right? This is the college. Podcast. All right, I'm NFL, sure no, an NFL, NFL no, rant. yeah, NFL no comment. Uh, play uh, college, college. <laughs> Saturday, Saturday was good. It was a real good day for the for the players. I mean, for the for the house. Now you got me all flustered. Uh, Arizona was huge. Mississippi State huge. Northwestern huge. Players did well on Troy, BC, Houston. They were their biggest game. But yeah, no complaints on college at all. You'll hear me complain much more on the NFL podcast because uh, we got crushed. I think a lot of our listeners are going to look forward to maybe the first Patriots rant of all of 2018. So stay tuned for that, I'm sure, right? Oh, it'll be a good rant. There's been so many Patriots rants. It hasn't been like the last two years, but the Patriots beat us up a few games this year. But uh, we also had some big winners in the Pats. But yeah, Monday night was freaking not good for the house. Move on. <laughs> not a dare. In other words, move fan. on. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of moving on, college football, week 10, uh, there is a ton of good games. So I would envision your action is going to be through the roof. Anything early on in terms of potential liabilities or yeah, sharp absolutely. action? Yeah, action is through the roof. Um, and a lot of that, the, the double, double whammy there because not only are there a great games after a few kind of weeks of average matchups, uh, but also everybody's loaded. Everybody's rich at that online. So people are spending their money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's always the positive. Again, I work on the marketing side of things. So that's always the positive. It's like, why are numbers down? And they're like, why are numbers great this week? It's like, well, you know, I didn't do anything special. You know what? <laughs> it was because the players are loaded right now. So anyways, sharp action. Nebraska plus 19 and a half. They're now plus 17 and a half. Maryland plus a point and a half. They're getting one point now texas state plus six plus six and a half down to plus five and a half cal plus 11 now plus 10 and a half minus 120 florida atlantic plus three and a half now three and a half minus 120 um public stuff 65 percent on toledo tonight 75 percent on central florida tomorrow saturday's card 90 percent on florida versus mizzou 76 percent on Georgia versus Kentucky, 79% on Michigan State versus Maryland, 68% on Penn State at Michigan. And the big game, of course, it's it's not uh, – the, the action is through the roof on the Bama at LSU. Um, it's, it's not huge liability yet. 57% of the action of the early betters are on Bama, minus 14.5. That's up to minus 14.5, by the way. At LSU, but yet yeah, action is going to be through the roof on that one. It's going to be the biggest bet game of the year, without a doubt. Dave, the last couple of weeks you've talked about the number one college side drawing the public action, and those games have actually gone three and zero for the house. Which is that game this weekend that you guys have seen the most tickets on thus far? Most tickets. Well, I mean, the last couple of weeks, I mean, we three weeks ago, we talked about Central Florida and Memphis. You said the public was coming in like they knew the final score. Two weeks ago, it was NC State against Clemson. And last weekend, it was all Texas A&M. It's pretty funny how those games seems to work out for the good guys. No, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Um, this weekend, I mean, the biggest bet game is going to be, like I said, Batman at LSU. But right now, 57% of the, the, the action is kind of two-way there. So I don't think that's going to be the biggest decision. Um 
it's looking like probably Florida, Missouri uh, from the early action, which surprises me, or Georgia-Kentucky or Penn State at Michigan. That I'm not sure which is going to be front-runner there. Always interesting to try and see how some of that stuff is coming together. And Dave, since it is the Halloween edition of the Bet the Board podcast, I got to ask you about your number one candy and the best costume that Dave Mason ever went out as for Halloween. Wait, what was the question? I said, I mean, I... I didn't even know today was Halloween until about 20 (laughs) minutes ago. I got to know your favorite Halloween candy, Dave, and your best costume that you've ever had. Oh, Halloween. I mean, Reese's peanut butter cups are are way up there, man. I mean, that's, that's, you know, three, that's the great candy right there. Chocolate and peanut butter mixed together. Love it. Um, I used to, you know, steal my sisters. We'd go through a bag. I tried Trasia. Trader like all the freaking stupid gummy bears and stuff for the Reese's peanut butter, but that never worked too well. Uh, costume, man, I, I don't even know. I it's been, shoot, man. I I can't even remember the last time I dressed up. Like probably when I was ten years old. I, I my mom made me a really good gorilla costume when I was in like kindergarten. That was pretty cool. Really good. And I got, <laughs> all the kids went and bought their stuff. And my mom would make the costume, so it was really homemade. But I got job. I got robbed in the freaking contest. I got like the. The, the, the red ribbon instead of the blue ribbon. So I got totally got robbed as a kindergartner. But that was definitely the best costume. Still got some picks to prove it. All right. Well, you know, you may have to try and circulate those picks one of these days. I'm sure all of our uh, Bet the Board listeners would love to see them. As much as they'd love to know what kind of opportunities are available, should they want to try and reload their accounts, or for those folks looking to take advantage of uh, the earliest college football openers, NFL numbers before the rest of the market, and, of course, low-juice numbers across the NBA and NHL, uh, what's available for them? Yes, sir. If you do not have a BetOnline.ag account, sign up for one. BetOnline.ag. Use promo code 75BTB on your first ever deposit to score 75% welcome bonus. If you already have a betonline.ag account and have not not used the Bet the Board Reload bonus yet, use promo code 50BTB for a one-time 50% bonus. The max bonus is $1,000. All the terms and conditions can be found at promotions.betonline.ag slash bettheboard. That's Dave Mason. You can hear him here every Wednesday and Thursday throughout the course of football season. Follow him on Twitter at Dave Mason, B-O-L. And Dave, save up your energy. We're going to expect an epic rant about the NFL weekend that was when we talk to you tomorrow (laughs) about pro football, my friend. You got it. I'm ready to rock. I tried to get the intel pain out of Mason this week, but he didn't have the same level of conviction trying to basically give out an indirect winner for the fourth straight week. So going to have to keep tabs on that Florida-Missouri game. That sounded about as closest to meeting the parameters we've seen each of the last couple. Is that the case? You you track that stuff more than I do. You know, I like to read between the lines. Like, we watch these player interviews and coach speak and everything else. And Dave said the last three weeks, the games that have seen the most tickets of any side all fell flat on their face. The UCF, like I mentioned, they laid four and a half, didn't cover against Memphis. NC State, the trendy underdog, they got boat raced. Last week, A&M, people couldn't get enough after they saw Mississippi State. That game, a little bit closer than the final score saw. So, try to pull it out. So, We'll see. I mean, I'm I was not more interested in his his Halloween costumes and his outfits. I feel like yeah. he was going uh, in a place where he was going to get a little angry for not winning that contest back in middle school. And I did want to ask him whether he was like a tenth place ribbon guy if he had it still posted somewhere, or if he was just so pissed off he put it in the garbage immediately. Yeah, I'm I'm just disappointed he hasn't put a costume on since he was ten. I mean, I got to wear a costume uh, later today for for lock it in that I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be able to poke all sorts of fun at because I know you will as well. So. I'm not a costume guy. I know you are. Um, I would have loved 
to have seen the chicken costume from the previous couple years, but I heard that went through a war recently. Oh, that chi- <laughs> if that chicken costume could talk, oh, they'd be able to tell some scary stories, ones that might not even be rated PG-13, but more on the R level. But yeah, chicken costume I may have to dust off, but uh, when you're... Never mind. I'm not even going to get into that right now. because She unfollowed me on Twitter, by the way, right after that fiasco. That's, that's a can of worms that I'm not going to open right now. I see what you did there, and I'm not even going to pay attention to it. All right. One last thing to take care of before uh, we bid a fond farewell to our loyal listeners. Best bet, where are we going this week after capitalizing on Nevada plus three last weekend, winning outright against San Diego State? This is the biggest game on the board. It's huge. It's massive. Everyone's going to be tuned into this. So Alabama, Michigan, Kentucky under. Where are we going? Three seven six Southern Mississippi, uh, plus the points stop, against Marshall. Stop. stop. Brett Favre still their starting quarterback. Uh, I believe. I believe he's been throwing some passes this week. Um, I do know the kid's him. name, Abraham. Uh, not to be confused with Abraham Lincoln, I don't think. Um, <laughs> is that what you're dressing up as? Uh? No, I will okay. not be going as Honest Abe. Don't 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 worry about that. But uh, all right, so this, Southern Miss uh, plus yep. the points. It's it's three right now. Uh, you could certainly get a very cheap buy to three and a half with the total at forty six and a half. Uh, that could have some legs. It was three and a half earlier in the week, but we'll grade it as three. Uh, but I would certainly watch that as the week goes on. If you can get the hook there, obviously vital and then even more valuable uh, with totals trending at 46 and a half right now. Trust in the Golden Eagles passing offense to take advantage of a Marshall secondary that is ready and available for the taking here. Southern Miss extremely unfortunate with their result against Charlotte. Six-point road favorites last week dominated the stat sheet. We're done in by turnovers. Hopefully they tighten those things up. And Southern Miss will be the team that gets us to the winner's circle this weekend. Wasn't uh, they had a they were going in for a score the week before against North Texas as well yeah, to I don't take talk, the lead? I don't, so I don't third, want to talk about that game. Yeah, but I mean, just the final score there was completely misleading. Late in the third quarter, they were going in for yeah, a game t- leading touchdown, and I know the this final score said what thirty to seven. Nowhere 30 close. To seven. The other thing here is Marshall. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to throw the ball. That's where you beat Southern Miss defensively. Uh, their explosive pass defense isn't very good. I don't know if Marshall's going to have that same success on the ground because Mississippi, uh, Southern Miss stops the run pretty well. So I like the matchups. I like the spot here. We should be in good shape there. So uh, special thanks to Dave Mason who joins us every Wednesday. Tune in tomorrow, obviously, for his Thursday rant. It should be epic given the way the NFL schedule has gone. Southern Miss, your best investment here from the Bet the Board team. And wishing you and yours a very happy and healthy Halloween. Payne, we're a little disappointed that we're not going to see a costume out of you. But you know what? We can aspire for greatness from you in 2019. Maybe we'll get you decked out in something special. Could not pay me. That's eh, all right. There's a price tag for everybody, my friend. A price <laughs> tag is. for everybody. And I leave it at that. Follow Payne on Twitter at Payne Insider. You can follow me on Twitter as well. And of course, most importantly, follow the podcast at Bet the Board Pod. Again, enjoy your Halloween this weekend. It won't be tricks, it'll be all treats with Southern Miss plus three. And we'll see you at the window. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Bet the Board ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondry Plus and Apple Podcasts. But before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondry.com survey.